Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Happy almost summer from Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. Tonight on Independence Day, Steve Dawson. Chicago's Dolly Varden is a band that could be called Local Legends, but the five-piece has accomplished too much over 19 years, six albums, and numerous shows across the U.S. and overseas to be relegated to mere local status. One half of the songwriting team that fronts Dolly Varden is guitarist and vocalist Steve Dawson. Dawson was born in California and raised in Idaho, but he is Chicago through and through, and his brilliant songs and gentle tenor perfectly reflect the complex, friendly, and often frozen city that has long been his home. Dolly Varden has some big plans in the works for their 20th anniversary next year, but Dawson has a very busy schedule of his own. His new side project, Funeral Bonsai Wedding, is based on a wholly new and improvisational approach that builds on his solid pair of solo albums, Sweet is the Anchor, and I Will Miss the Trumpets and Drums, both of which are filled with exquisitely crafted songs that deftly include elements of classic country, old-school pop, and blue-eyed soul. The new band will open the Millennium Park Downtown Sound New Music Monday Summer Concert Series at the J. Pritzker Pavilion, Chicago's beautiful lakefront outdoor music venue, on Monday, June 2nd, sharing the stage with another Chicago legend, Robbie Folks. In addition to the new band and Dolly Varden's upcoming anniversary, Dawson's day job is helping instruct the next generation of budding songwriters how to turn their ideas into great music by teaching songwriting and guitar classes at Chicago's legendary Old Town School of Folk Music. Welcome to Independence Day, Steve Dawson. Hey man, how you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. How is Chicago this morning? It's nice to do these remote interviews from my home, or to my hometown, I guess I should say. Well, we're having a... I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's cold and rainy. Yeah, it's like the, I checked it this morning. You know, it's so funny that, I mean, I've been out here almost 10 years, but I still kind of identify as a Chicagoan, so I, it sounds ridiculous. Maybe it's just like a masochistic thing, but I still check the weather in Chicago almost <laughs> every single day. And I woke up this morning, it was 39 degrees in Chicago, and my Facebook, uh, Facebook wall was blown up with pictures posting snow which I don't, I don't want to see the S-word, man. The weather's not the reason to be in Chicago. No, but it's a wonderful... There's a lot of good... I think there's a, yeah, there's a million great things about Chicago, and the weather is not on that list at all. Yeah, but it's such a wonderful town. It's a wonderful town for music. It's a wonderful town for restaurants. And the people, you, you just can't beat them. Um, and we referenced yeah. this a little bit in your introduction, but you're a, a singer-songwriter. You've been based in Chicago most of your adult life. Uh, your primary you know, band has been a band called Dolly Varden. Dolly Varden is almost 20 years old. Have I got the math right on that? That's true. Yeah, 20, our 20th anniversary is next summer. Are you guys planning anything big, uh, big for the big anniversary? Like yeah, a, I think we're going to do... We're definitely going to do a concert, um, and we're trying to still figure out what else we're going to do around that. If we're going to put together some kind of an album or a collection or something. I don't know. Yeah. We'll do something. Yeah, and Dolly Varden is a band that you founded with your wife, Diane Christensen, but you also write with her. She's also a singer in the band. She also plays guitar in the band. Um, so you've got that interesting you know, relationship like that Tom Waits, Kathleen mm-hmm. Brennan kind of thing. Um, <laughs> and, you know, but you started off as a different band. It was called Stump the Host at one point. And what, right. what, was the ch- what, was, what made the change you know, between that band and the new band? Like, what changed about that? Um, well, it was the... The three musicians behind Diane and I were very, very different 
in Stump the Host. Uh, Stump the Host was was also a drummer, a bass player, and electric guitar player, but it was um, completely different personalities and different style of music. I, well, I don't know if it's completely different style of music, but different it was, enough. It was more. It was more sort of revved up and uh, country, like okay, sort of fast, fast, twangy, alternative country stuff. Yeah, closer to the bloodshot um, style of kind of irreverent yeah, all so. country. You know, because the Dolly, Dolly Varden. I mean, I, you guys are so great. I mean, I remember seeing you years ago when I lived in Chicago at Shuba's, and I saw you play at the uh, what was it First Fridays event one time at the Art Institute. Oh, wow. It's been, I, mean, I think that was the last time I, I saw you, which was been many, <laughs> many, many, many years ago. But I've been out of Chicago wow. for a long time. Um, but, you know, describe to, you know, because some of the listeners are going to be, I mean, a lot of my listeners are going to be California-based. Like, describe the, the band. Like, if no one had ever heard of Dolly Varden, you know, you're in an elevator, you got to give them the elevator pitch. What would you say the band <laughs> sounds like? I would say if I have to do an elevator pitch, I'd probably just pass out. I, I, get, I, I have no, I have no ability to, to boil anything down uh-huh. to a to well, a phrase. Uh, so I, I, it's I would, a very tall building. You've got a lot of time to tell them. Yeah, like if I lived in L.A., I would, I would probably just become a hermit or something. Or yeah, hole up in the house because I, I can't do, I can't do the sales pitch. Yeah. Um, but it's it's Diane and I singing, and I think she and I. It's it's kind of changed over the years a bit. Um, at first, we were doing lots of two part harmony, uh-huh. and we we're doing less and less of that, I think, and trying to find other ways to explore the way our voices can work together. Um, then a bassist, a drummer, and a guitar player who's super unique and plays really beautiful. Um, almost this, I don't know, colors the songs in this really beautiful way. So Mark is almost like his name is Mark Boletto. Yeah, we're talking about Mark Boletto. He colors the songs in a in a in a way, so it's almost like three voices in a way in the band, and um, it's it's mellow for the most part. We have some revved up stuff, but but uh, it's kind of thoughtful, mellow ish music, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's a little I, bit con- Yeah, yeah. I hate to put you guys in the alt country box because that can be kind of restricting sometimes. But you might loosely fall into there. But the the songwriting is is definitely more. Uh, I hate to use the word advanced, but it, it's you know there's more Paul Simon, James Taylor mixed into there. Yeah. You know, a little more uh, elaborate chord changes than you would find in a traditional like alt country type band. But you guys have had a lot of success over the years. You've got several albums. You've toured all around the country, all around the world. Um, how active are you guys these days with playing out? Well, with this last record, we played just in Chicago in the Midwest. We didn't do much touring at all. Um, everyone's got pretty busy lives and I don't know, I personally don't really have the patience for touring. <laughs> we yeah. tried that a bunch in the, in the early two thousands, we did a lot of touring and, uh, I basically just sort of tolerated it, but I, I yeah. kind of hate it. I, I kind of hate it. So I, I, I like playing the shows, but everything else around touring drives me bonkers. Yeah, well, so you know I, the the adage. You know, you don't you don't get paid to play shows. You like you play the shows for free. You get paid to ride around in a van <laughs> and to like sit yeah. in truck stops at three a.m. and try to find something that's actually digestible in terms of food. So that's yeah. you know, it's it's kind of flipped around because I mean the touring I've done. I mean, yeah, whether as I was a technician or a performer, it's the same way. Like the show is the gravy part. It's all that other stuff. Yeah. It's the other twenty two hours of the day that you have to endure. Yeah, just, yeah all that all that downtime really. It just, it drives me insane. Yeah. So yeah, I, I kind of need to, I, I don't know, I'm a creature of habit here at home and I, 
I like to keep myself busy with projects and stuff like that. And I really enjoy teaching. So yeah, I've yeah. Kinda, we'll touch know. upon that later. You you do some teaching, both guitar and I think songwriting at Old Town oh. School of Folk Music, correct? Yes, that's true. Okay, it's cool. Well, we'll touch we'll touch on that in just a minute. I'm talking to Steve Dawson. He's one of the lead singers of the band Dolly Varden, a Chicago-based outfit. Really, really dig this band. I remember seeing them when I was a guitar player back in Chicago back in the day, as the kids say. They've got a bunch of albums, plus a new one that came out just a year ago in January called For a While. Let's check out a track from that record right now. This is the track Del Mar 1976, Dolly Varden on Independence Day. Slide down that pickleweed hill La 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 I don't remember her name But I remember her well After school by the cinder block wall In the canyon where the Pine trees fell The twins next door were trouble La 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 One was a pyromaniac And their mother reeked of Spying on them by the water tower With a girl whose name I cannot remember The sad songs of the 70s Playing soft from the radio the bottom of our stairs Mama crying up in her bed For hours and hours Down the hill to the racetrack fair Owens once and the buckaroos singing there. A whole room filled with model trains behind glass, tiny tanks and
between the sea and sky An oil tanker on the horizon There is nothing moving now I am floating up Slide down that pickleweed hill, la la la, la la la. I don't remember her name, but I remember her well. That is Dolly Varden, a Chicago based band. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. You can check out Dolly Varden at dollyvarden.com. You can also check out Steve. He's the singer of that band, or one of the two singers of that band, I should say, at stevedawsonmusic.com. So, man, again, great to talk to you. Great to catch up with you a little bit. I'm not sure if we ever had Thanks. a whole lot of conversations back when I lived in Chicago, but. Um, you know, things have, things have kind of changed in the music business since we last talked. Um, how, That's, yeah. how has it changed, you know, for you, uh, in terms of both technology and how we go about doing what we do as musicians? Mm -hmm. Well, in, in so many ways, in almost every way, except for the way that, you know, we actually sing and play instruments, everything, everything else has changed. Yeah. The way that, the, the way that music is, is sort of consumed it's the way it's presented to to the world and the way it's consumed is 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 absolutely completely different and um i don't know i think i'm still i'm still getting my head around it but i think for the most part it's a huge improvement and um that there's no sort of giant corporate apparatus that you have to sort of like bow down to in order to to get music to people you can get music to people you know for free basically yeah really directly and just put it up um and i think that's a that's a huge step forward it gives the musicians the the power yeah and you know and all that is good um so yeah i th i think in in those terms it's it's much better i'm still trying to figure out you know it seems like the the delivery system changes every six months or something like yeah. which is the preferred delivery system or yeah uh so i'm still sort of like trying to keep up with that um but yeah. for the most part i i'm happy with it yeah yeah it seems like it always changed you know it was on a much slower cycle at one point because you know way back in the ether somewhere there's the 78 record although i just i just interviewed a yeah. guy on the show a couple of weeks ago who's pressing a 78 <laughs> he, he's an he's an i mean he's not he's not a hipster guy he's an old school uh, his name is Skip Heller, and he's really into jazz. He's from Philadelphia originally, but he's okay. fairly fairly legendary. Um, he's got he's a collector. He has three thousand seventy eights in his collection, I uh -huh. guess. And he's which I didn't think was possible, but uh, so when he he just had a chance, he's done some vinyl before, but to do to do his preferred format seventy eight is kind of a big deal for him. So uh, sure. did Dolly Varden, you know, because you guys were popular, you started kind of in the mid nineties, um, which was right. a, which was an era when there wasn't a lot of vinyl. Have you guys ever pressed vinyl, or was it always CDs in your in that uh, repertoire? Well, we um, we were licensed two two of our records were licensed through a uk label that presses like audiophile vinyl oh nice so two of the records were pressed on lps a really nice lps those 180 gram yeah yeah um it was this company called diverse records in wales 
And um, that was really cool. And then I'm actually making a record right now that I'm going to make LPs on. So, so yeah, I guess in some ways things have gone forward and in some ways they've gone a little bit backwards since LPs were out of the mix for a while. And now it seems like it's a, it's a valid format again. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of have a theory that, you know, people who really care about music are always going to buy a physical product of some kind mm-hmm. because it's it's kind of an experience. You know, you open up the yeah. liner notes and there's the artwork and, and an album is so huge. I mean, compared to, I remember when it went from albums to CDs, I was like, man, that, that album cover just doesn't yeah. look as cool anymore. Uh, Disappointing, yeah. The al- album jackets are really super awesome. Yeah. I, yeah, I, yeah, I think all of us spent... All of us who are old enough to remember spent a lot of time listening to records and staring at record jackets and reading all the notes and just sort of yeah. like digging in, you know. I, I love that experience. So yeah, yeah I'm still pretty do. excited to, to make an LP, yeah. So is this a new solo record that you're making? It is. It's with a, it's with a new band that I call Funeral Bonsai Wedding. Okay. And it's three, three guys from the, um, from the sort of improvised music scene here in Chicago. This guy that plays vibraphone named Jason Adeshevitz and a drummer named Frank Rosalie and a bassist named Jason Rebke. Okay. And all all three of them are pretty famous unto their unto themselves as sort of like instrumentalists. And um it's super exciting and it's been amazing to play with them and to record with them. So yeah, I'm super excited about that. No, this is a lineup that you're going to be playing next week at the Jay Pritzker Pavilion, correct? This is the that's this, right, with, yeah. with the yeah. funeral bonsai wedding. Now, this is a really, really cool gig. I mean, that's the kind of gig that you know I would uh, <laughs> I would dream about playing when I was a kid. The, for those of you who don't know, yeah. the Jay Pritzker Pavilion is this beautifully designed outdoor pavilion in downtown Chicago, right in Grant Park, uh, separate from the old Petrillo Music Show, which seems so '70s now, like you expect to see Motorhead there or something. Um, <laughs> it's just a beautiful, beautiful space. They do a lot of classical music there, and you're playing there uh, Monday night, June 2nd, at 6.30 with Robbie Folks, another Chicago fairly legendary musician, guitar player. Um, how did you land a gig like this? Well, they called me. I'm not really sure how they <laughs> how they came to call me, uh-huh. but um, I was certainly glad to get the call. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it is a beautiful facility, and I'm really excited about it. They have it... They have this free concert series on Monday nights in the summer called the Downtown Sound Series. And um, yeah, it's, it should be really great. I'm really excited to play with this group on that in that venue because, I don't know, I, I haven't played outdoors all that much. Yeah. But I think, I think this group will really project well out in this sort of big outdoor facility. Yeah. Now, it, I get the impression like Dolly Varden's music is is fairly arranged because when the songwriting is as intricate as it is with Dolly Varden and your solo records, you know, have the same kind of flavor. Um, is this a more improvisatory kind of thing? Like I having not heard this so much, like tell me just a yeah. little bit about this new arrangement, this new lineup. Like what what what's it, you know, why is it different and why did you choose to go with this direction? It's definitely a little looser and more sort of spacious and um, the songs have the songs still have specific structures, you know, verses and choruses. Uh-huh. But there's some songs where getting from one piece to the next, like one section to the next, might, you know, one time we play it be four bars and might another time be 24 bars or something like that, uh-huh. of just kind of openness yeah. and, and figure out, we kind of sort of like be in the moment and figure out what happens between those sections. Um, so it's, and those guys, that's kind of like, 
that's their wheelhouse. Yeah, yeah. And that can be very, um, you know, invigorating for a musician uh, yeah. to have to have something where you're confident enough in your players and your ensemble and yourself to just kind of jump into the void and trust that yeah. you're going to land on your feet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, you know, we so much music, it seems... Uh, I mean, I always I like it when bands do that. You know, there's the recorded version and then there's the version that they're going to do live, which is different. Like, the more mm -hmm. different, the better. Um, and it sounds funny because my girlfriend hates this band, but a band who's exemplary at that, I think, is actually Counting Crows. Um, oh, I remember wow. seeing them play actually at... I mean, they're not jazz, they're not a jam band, but I remember seeing them play at the uh, Levitt Pavilion, actually, one for free years ago. And they started one song, and everybody knows these songs. They're like from August and everything after, which sold a bajillion copies. But you know, right. to keep themselves interested, I think, you know, they started playing a song, one of their well-known songs from that record, and then in the middle of it kind of broke it down to this open freeform thing and then started, Adam Duritz, the singer, started singing an entirely different song over the chord changes hmm. of the first song. And they ended up playing that entire song in a completely different style uh, oh, cool. over that first song and then eventually wound up back to the first song. And I, it's, it's, that's pretty cool. Especially when yeah. you're with like seven people. I mean, it's easy to do that when you're solo. You can do whatever you want. It's like tabula rasa. Sure. <laughs> um, anyway, we're kind of getting off topic, but that's why we, we love talking about music, man. That's why I do this show. Yeah, but things like that, you know, just where there's a sort of like a loose, there's more of a looseness to the arrangements and, and things, can, things can change depending on yeah. the, you know, what's going on at the moment there. So Absolutely. Yeah, it's really cool. Did you write all new music for the Funeral Bonsai Wedding Project, or are they going to yeah, do a con-con? Yeah, it's, con it's so, all new songs. So will you do any Dolly Varden stuff, like in a different style, or your solo stuff? Um, no. Okay. I don't think so, no. That's pretty cool. I sort of keep them separated. The Dolly Varden songs stick with Dolly Varden. Uh -huh. Although, there was a song from my last solo record that Dolly Varden plays really well, this song called Obsidian, so that's been showing up in the Dolly Varden shows. Um, so, I don't know. In in some ways, that song probably should have been a Dolly Varden song. But yeah, ended up on my last solo record. So yeah, I would like to think that we live in a world where like all the different types of things that I want to write could be in one band, but I don't yeah. I don't know that that's possible. I was talking about it with my friend uh, Tony, who just moved to Chicago or from Chicago to LA very recently, and how you know we wanted to start some new music projects, but. Um, it can it actually can get confusing for the audience to do <laughs> stuff that's so wildly disparate. Um, but, you yeah. know, t as musicians, every musician says, almost every musician I talk to says the same thing. It's all the same thing to us. You know, we're just playing what comes naturally to us and pushing ourselves into new areas and just making what we want right. to make. Okay, Steve, how about some live music? You've got your guitar here. Uh, what's this first track going to be? Um, I'm going to sing a song from the Dolly Varden record, the last one. And this song is called Saskatchewan to Chicago. All right, let's hear this. Steve Dawson on Independence Day. Well, my great-grandfather left Saskatchewan for California. Yeah, my great-grandfather left Saskatchewan for California For the warmth of the sun and the smell of the ocean And my grandpa took a job as a teacher in New Mexico 
Yeah, my grandpa took a job as a teacher in New Mexico. It was the height of the Depression. There was nowhere else to go. I was 12, my father moved our family up into the mountains. When I was 12, my father moved our family up into the mountains. Our very first winter, we had six feet of snow. I'd go fishing all summer in the river that ran behind our house I'd go fishing all summer in the river that ran behind our house I was singing to the trees, singing to the water of a friendship that ended in Chicago I was following the footsteps of a friendship that ended in Chicago I will never understand how that was 22 years ago well, my great-grandfather left Saskatchewan for California. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. I come to you every Wednesday night at 7 p.m., bringing you musicians from around the country and around the world. Tonight is a perfect example of that. My guest is Steve Dawson from the band Dolly Varden from Chicago, one of my favorite cities, one of my favorite bands from that city. And it's great to see you guys still at it after all these years. Like It seems like only yesterday that I was watching you play at Shuba's. But hmm. uh, you know, what, what do you attest this kind of longevity to for a band like Dolly Varden? Like, How have you kept it together all these times? Like there's few bands like you two seems to be able to keep it together, but but everybody mm. else seems to explode every few years. How do you guys keep it together? Gosh, I mean, I just I don't see why it's so hard. I, it, we we all like each other and we all like playing music together. I, I I do get that question every time, you know, I get interviewed about Dolly Varden. It's like, how can you do it? It just seems like why would we not do it? Yeah, nobody seems to have an ego problem, and we're not. 
I guess maybe the problem starts, you know, the bands that you're talking about, there's there's money issues and people get greedy right. or they feel like they're getting left out or someone feels like they're getting screwed. But, you know, <laughs> we've never had that problem because we've never made enough money to really make it <laughs> make it be a problem. I mean, we 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 did very well on this last record, but it certainly wasn't uh-huh. enough for us to, like, start getting greedy over. So um, maybe that's why. Yeah. I mean, we all just like, we like each other and we like playing music together. So I can't imagine why we wouldn't do it. Yeah, it seems like you're doing it, you're, what I'm doing it, I mean you're doing music. You're making music for the right reasons because you love yeah. to make music and you, you like each other. And that's the thing. Some bands, you know, are like the kinks. They fight on stage <laughs> or Oasis. So they get, yeah. that's like part of their thing. I and mean, some people's personal relationships are like that too. I've found well, like I think some, with the kinks, those guys, those are brothers and there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a serious... I don't know, sibling hatred there or something. I don't know what's going on there, but <laughs> yeah, but it shows <laughs> in the music. Story. Yeah, totally. I mean, it shows in the Dolly Varden music that you guys like each other and you like playing together because you you do play as an ensemble. You know, yes. it's not like there's like the singer and then there's everybody else, which is like you know a lot of bands. Like this this is a band that's a true band, and it's it's great to see a band like Dolly Varden or specifically Dolly Varden doing well. You know, in that environment. You know, I, I'm based in Los Angeles where. Every single person I know, it seems like, is in 15 bands. Oh. And they're just waiting for the spark from one of those bands to kind of catch and then go with that band. But there's okay. a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of people in LA, you know, working very, very hard to make a living at it too. So once you add that extra layer on top of it, it kind of changes the paradigm a little bit. Well, sure. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So you've got that show coming up at the Jay Pritzker Pavilion with your kind of, which, is it a new ensemble, the Funeral Bonsai Wedding, relatively new? Yeah, I mean, I've played with them off and on, and I, I do like, um, there's a little bar up in Andersonville called Simon's, Okay, and I've played I've played with those guys at Simon's over the years, just for fun, and it's it's always crazy fun, but we never made a record together. Yeah. I always thought, now, I don't want to... Is Simon's the little place that's right near the Hopleaf? Is that the one yeah. I'm thinking of? Yeah, yeah. It's so funny. I've been in there, but I never, you know, I never knew they did live music. Yeah, it's it's great. It's just a divey, it's this old old dive bar. Yeah, and it's uh, fairly spacious inside. If I if I'm yeah. remembering correctly, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. And um, we play there once or twice a year. And but for this, I just said, you know, I want to make a. I've I've had it in the back of my mind that I want to make a record with these guys and like write songs specifically for this group. Um, I've had that in the back of my mind. For, for a couple of years and just figured like felt like the time was right and yeah. i finally got the songs together so just making it happen now tell me about your recording process i know you've got a studio at home are you doing this record in your home studio well no this record we're doing at a studio at this place called king size okay. sound labs here in chicago with a guy named john abbey uh recording it because we we are recording it all live we're all in the same room singing live takes with very minimal overdubbing, which is different from what I usually do. Yeah. Or certainly what I did with my so- my other solo records were just lots and lots of series of layering and overdubs, and mostly me. Um, with did Dolly you do Barton, those at your home studio? Yes, that I have. I have a, I have a studio here out, out back that... I do a lot of production for sort of other singer-songwriters in Chicago. It's uh-huh. not really geared toward a full band situation. It's pretty small. But I do, you know, I do have drums and stuff, but I'm not really set up to do yeah. like a full band live tracking thing. 
Although we did do some of that with with Dolly Varden with the rest last record, we we did some of that here, and we actually did some of it at King's Eyes for the for the full band takes. Uh huh. But it's yeah, it's a it's a it'll, it's a small space. Well, you can do so much now. I mean, it's the joke that people say all the time: like you can make an album with a laptop, but you really can yeah, make an can. album with a laptop. Sure. You know what? I, what I like to do when I'm producing records is I'll I'll take a band into a studio. Uh, record them as live as possible, um, you know, with the fancy mic pre's and the fancy gear. Mm-hmm. And then you just bring your hard drive home, you know, you plug it into your laptop at home. I mean, I've done all the overdubbing from the last several projects just right here in my living room. Right. Um, you know, the sound quality that you can get from a five or $600 microphone and a laptop is just unreal compared to what yeah. you could you know, could do. Um, you know, the first Dolly Varden records, were they recorded, I mean, we, we, were we still in two-inch at that time, or were you guys doing, because uh, ADATs were like new technology, what were you doing back then? We've, I think we've, we've done every, <laughs> well, we haven't done a 78, but we've done everything. Like okay. Our very first record, we recorded on a four-track cassette, on a Tascam four-track, uh-huh. and the second one was ADATs, that's the one called The Thrill of Gravity, that was recorded on... Uh-huh. ADATs. The third one we did with this guy named Brad Jones in Nashville, and he recorded, I think, onto two inch for most of it. That whole thing might have been on tape. I, actually, part of that I think was ADATs. I think he did a combination of tape and ADATs, and then the next one was was all digital. So and by yeah. digital, you mean ADATs were digital? You mean nonlinear, like Pro Tools style yeah, 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 in a, software? Yeah, in a, in the box, I guess you'd say. Yeah, in the box. Yeah. You know, and we, for the last record, you know, we got our, we paid a guy to mix uh, our Pro Tool stuff through an old board with lots of nice outboard gear. And yeah. we liked about, you know, we ended up using about half of the tracks, maybe two thirds of the tracks that he did because he had way fancier gear than we did. But then there were a few things that we felt like didn't, didn't happen. So that was my first experience mixing everything in the box, all plugins and, and it worked yeah. out pretty well. You know, we're happy with the results. Um, yeah, anyways, there is some t- kind of nice, there's a nice, um, I don't know what the right word is, but when it goes through the board, everything kind of melts together in a really nice way, in a sweet way. It has this kind of glue thing that happens. Because we actually, I was just doing the final overdubs yesterday for this new record, and as an experiment, he just put everything out through the board to see what the difference in sound would be. And it it definitely has sort of like a this nice sort of mid-range sweetness yeah. to it. Yeah. Now this is a real inside geeky baseball thing, but what kind of board are you talking about here? Because there's, you know, there's like the leftover Neve stuff from the seventies. Yeah, he's got know, one of those. Ranges. He's got a he's got a Neve okay. board from the. It was from a television studio here. It was from oh, w, wow. I think it was WGN's Neve from the late seventies that they they no longer needed, so he got it. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of stuff like that out there. Uh, I worked at Manny's Music for a while in New York City. And, uh, you know, my little super, in the recording department, like the production department. And, you know, Pro Tools was like nascent software at the time. You know, it kind of existed, but wasn't fully mature. I think Pro Tools 24 came out while I was there. But the big joke was uh, my supervisor had been selling audio gear for a long time. And NASA needed uh, a console to mm. literally run the audio that goes, it gets piped up to, I guess back then it would have been the space shuttle. I don't know. Oh, and... Wow. But you know they like they needed it to be the most reliable thing possible, so they ended up buying. I, it was a huge console. He used to joke about it. it. Was like a it was bigger than forty eight inputs. I don't know how many inputs it was. This giant Neve console, and they essentially used one or two channels. 
from this board because they needed it to be wow. <laughs> top-notch quality. I love that story, like Neve. That's the best-sounding astronaut you've ever heard. <laughs> All right, I'm talking to Steve Dawson. He is one of the two singers and songwriters and guitar players in the band Dolly Varden, a Chicago-based band. You should really check them out, dollyvarden.com. He's got his own website for his solo stuff. That's stevedawsonmusic.com. And he's got his guitar here. How about another tune, man? That first one was fantastic. What, what have you got next for us? Okay, uh, the next song would be one of the ones that is being recorded for this new record for the Funeral Bonsai Wedding album, and um, it's called In the Valley of the Whale. All right, once again, Steve Dawson on Independence Day. Against the car by the fence in the trees with a grin I don't own. The crush of the leaves, the smell of the rain as it soaks our clothes. Deep, bitter root, Underground, my soul has been moved by that whisper sound. Together again in the valley of the whale, in the long dry heat, I bury my head in your chest and I sing till I fall at your feet cruel chemistry dust to dust hand to hand I still believe but I don't understand Sweet mystery Back now from the dead I could be the light In the lamp beside your bed 
My name is Joe Armstrong. You're listening to Independence Day. My guest tonight, Mr. Steve Dawson, who joins us from Chicago, my hometown. Beautiful, beautiful town. It's almost safe to go outside. <laughs> we heard heard they got some snow this morning, but man, after the winter you guys have had, I hope it's uh, hope it's over soon. And I can never I can never re- restrain myself from talking about weather in Chicago. Whenever I talk to Chicagoans, it's like a big topic of discussion. But man, uh, all all weather nonsense aside, that's a really great song. Um, you know, listening to that song, and you've got some alliteration in there. And the the question that I, I have to ask you after listening to that song is, you know, it seems like you paid a lot of attention in English class. Uh, the <laughs> ele- ele- elements of composition seem to be kind of all there. Um, am I? Oh, is this something? That, did you pay attention in English class? <laughs> I don't remember. Um, I I used to just go crazy listening to song lyrics by people like, you know, like Paul Simon and Joni Mitchell and Bob Dylan. And uh, I think I paid more attention to that than I did in English class. I had a great poetry teacher at actually at the Berkeley College of Music. And I think that was, that was more interesting to me than anything that happened in high school English. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I really went deep into studying poetry and and exploring modern poetry when I was in college. But that was I sort of did that on my own as an adjunct of this guy's uh, sort of introduction to poetry class. Now, did so, you graduate yeah. from Berkeley? Um, yeah, I think you're probably about one of the fifteen people <laughs> over the years. <laughs> That's the thing about Berkeley. I went to Berkeley actually for a little while, but I transferred oh, wow. elsewhere. Um, when were you there? I'm wondering. We might have been there. I was the same there time. from '83 to '87. Okay, so you were there just before I was. I was okay. there in the winter of '89. I had, what was your experience there? Because when I was at Berkeley, it was like warring, like you know, pop metal. Like the hair bands were very, very popular in 1989. Oh, it was right yeah. before Nirvana came in and thankfully killed them huh. all. Um, but it was in in the in the cafeteria every day. It was like warring factions of of hardcore jazz heads and hardcore metal heads. Oh, wow. And I, and I just never felt like I've, I, that's one of the reasons I left. I felt like I never fit in because I always felt kind of like a Joe Walsh guitar player. Interesting. Who was capable, yeah, the, but not, but the not interested thing, in I don't in know shredding. if the metal thing really had taken, that was not so much going on. I do remember there was one, there was one like metal guy that lived in the dorm that was just a ridiculously amazing guitar player, but he also could play you know, Wes Montgomery and Jim Hall stuff too. So he was just yeah. like ridiculously great. <laughs> yeah. That was more my experience that there was just dozens and dozens of people who were so much better than I was. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was just really humbling. And it, yeah. you know, you come out of there cause I'm from a small, I grew up in a small town in Idaho and you know, you, you think you're great and you got a big head and you go there and it just really knocks the wind out of you which i think is probably really healthy yeah yeah no matter what you do in life there's the important adage to remember is there's always somebody more badass than you are whether you're hiking up a mountain or playing guitar or whatever and it's i mean it's taken me a long time to get to this but it that it's not a competition i mean you know it's like god bless that guy who was a I hope he's in a band now. I hope he's still playing. It very well he could be not. Yeah. A lot of people quit because it's so frustrating. Right. But um it also helped me focus on what I actually do do best, which is yeah. not not really guitar playing. It's um writing songs. You know, I it really helped me sort of fine tune what it is that 
that I sort of feel like I'm meant to do. More yeah, than, and that's yeah. where the longevity part of it comes in too. Because yeah. I mean, if I had a nickel for every player that I've met in my life who's you know absurdly better than I'll ever be, who is not even playing music anymore, or yeah. they're you know they're they're doing something else, and it's their choice and their life, and that's fine. But there's always that artistic part of me that thinks, man, that's a crime that you're not performing because your gift is ex- exemplary. You right. should be out there sharing it with people, but. Ah, man. But, you know, we're all still at it. You know, that's the thing. You know, what's the Woody Allen thing? You know, half of half of success is showing up, I guess. Yeah. You've been showing well, up yeah. for a long... That's true. You've been showing up for a long time, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> tell me a little bit about your writing process. It seems to be, you know, such a big part of what you do, like you just described, like what you figured out you do best is songwriting. So, you know, you said you grew up studying poetry and you grew up studying... You know the great songwriters Joni Mitchell, Paul Simon, James Taylor, what have you. Um, you know how did then did you do it yourself? Like other than just studying it, like when you started putting mm. songs together, were you one of those guys that wrote, uh, you know, fifty songs before you released anything? Did you write and then rewrite? Oh, sure. Like how how yeah, did no, you I, how did you mature as a songwriter? I started writing songs right away when I was learning. Like I by the time I'd learned five chords, I I had already written. A handful of songs, you know. It it just seemed like it, I, it. There was there was never a thought of like I shouldn't be doing this or why can't I can't do this. I just did it. I don't I don't know what possessed me to think that. <laughs> but yeah. it, so I guess I've been working on figuring out how to write songs since I was like fourteen years old. But you know, it is still a mystery. I still, you know, I teach songwriting classes in Chicago, but I, I kind of feel like, and I even say to my classes, it's like, I don't, I don't really know how to teach you how to write a song. All I can do is sort of like give you the sort of the raw materials and say here, you know, okay, now go do it. You learn by doing it. And I, and I sort of, I'm comfortable with the unknown, I guess, at this point, comfortable enough that, um, I sort of accept it and, but I don't have a specific process of like saying, well, here's how you write a song, because it seems like it's different every time. Sometimes I'll start with words. Sometimes I'll start with guitar chords. Sometimes I'll start with a melody. Sometimes I'll start with a phrase. So I, I, I sort of will take it any way it comes and, and try, yeah. to follow, try to follow it through. Now, is your process one of diligence? Um, there's the Ray Bradbury idea of like, he was, he would wake up every morning and sit down at his typewriter for like an hour. And if he was particularly uninspired, he'd said, you know, if I would, I would type the letter Q for an hour, hmm. you know, or if he, or he would just let it flow. Like whatever came out is what he, what he did that day. And then maybe he kept at it for the rest of the day. I mean, obviously we're talking about Bradbury. Yeah. Um, but I mean, is this something that you still work at every day with a kind of discipline or is it more just when inspiration strikes? Yeah, I wish I could say I was disciplined. It feels it, it it feels unprofessional to say, but I I I do wait for the inspiration to happen. I don't I don't sit down and try to make it happen. I have tried to do that, and it just it never yields anything that I like. So I I wait for something to to sort of like pick my interest. And and yeah. I've read like I think most of the writers that I admire, except for Paul Simon, who has who claims that he he does do that where he'll go every every day to a spot and write but everybody yeah. else I've read interviews with they they kind of wait for wait for an idea to 
to sort of like spark and then follow it as much as possible. Yeah, and how much refining do you do? I mean, you know, again, you're not playing punk style music. You're playing fairly arranged music. You know, once you get that initial inspiration, um, do you, is it a malleable thing? Do you just sit with it and then toy with that idea for a while? Or, or I mean, I, mean, I guess every song's different. Every process is different, like you said before. Yeah. Um, but how, how, I mean, how much work do you then have to put into it to get it to where it's complete? I mean, songwriters It really I've is different. To, like the song I just played, the, the Valley of the Whale song, that one popped out pretty much finished. So it's it it took probably twenty minutes to write that song. And I don't I don't have any way of explaining that because there's even lines in there that I don't even like the Valley of the Whale is a real place in Egypt where there's these old like whale skeletons in the middle of the desert. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. But the line popped out. Like there's lines in there that I don't know where they came from. Yeah. Maybe I heard about it at some point in you know in the past or read about it or saw it on TV or something, but I don't I don't have an active memory of that. I mean yeah. I think a lot of it is subconscious. Um, yeah. And so what that is, one. Go ahead. Hmm? Sorry. I was go gonna ahead. say that one that one popped out pretty much fully formed. Others could take years to write. You know where I'm just working on finding just the right words. Um, so. Yeah, it's it's always different. Each song is different. Though I do I will say the ones that happen quickly seem to be the the better ones. Yeah. And what inspires you to write? Are you an active reader? Uh do you, mm. you know, are there other authors that you, you you turn to or you like to read? Um is you know, what what inspires you? I think um other songwriters, like hearing hearing a song that moves me in a way, you know, where you get chills or you get you get an emotional reaction, um, like an involuntary reaction. You get, you know, that feeling somewhere, a lump in your throat or chills or something like that. And whenever that happens, if I'm listening to somebody, even if it's someone singing a song in my class or a or a record, you know, a new record I'm listening to, I'm just like, man, I got to do that. It just makes me want to yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've I've felt, you know, one of my biggest adages about music I've held throughout my life is that music has moved me so deeply in my life that if I, through the music that I make, if I can give other people a percentage of the feeling I get when I listen to songs that move me, uh, I will feel like I've succeeded at what I'm doing. Right, right. It's like, yeah, it, even yeah, as a teenager, you hear a record and it's just like, it just changes your life and you want to, you just want to latch onto that and try to be part of that. I think for most musicians, you, that's the, yeah. What were you listening to, like, when you were a teenager? Um, well, it was the early, eight, the late 70s and early 80s. <laughs> so I was listening to The Cars and Super Tramp, probably. But I was also, my dad has a lot of classic rock records, so a lot of Neil Young, Rolling Stones, and The Beatles. I love, I always love The Beatles. Um at some point, I found Van Morrison records and got super into Van, and through him, found a bunch of like he makes reference to a lot of old blues singers and soul singers. So, sort of like through through Van's uh, filter, I've found a lot of soul music and blues and stuff that I really like. Yeah, he really is an ambassador for that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it seems like you know we as as music people in the world or just people in the world you know you come up hearing Gloria and you come up hearing Brown Eyed Girl at every cover band and every function and every wedding you've ever been to but if you dig in I mean that guy you know 
he's a troubadour. He's a he's a yeah. blue-eyed soul songwriter who's been doing it for a very, very, very long time at a very, very high level. Well, and he he makes specific references to to people in his songs, like Jackie Wilson and Lead Belly and yeah. stuff like that. So I'm like, Jackie Wilson, who's that? And it's you know, in 1981, yeah. you couldn't you couldn't just dial up YouTube and watch a bunch of Jackie right. Wilson videos. You had to. I had to like special order them at the record store in Haley, Idaho, that sort of thing. You know, right. It's like, <laughs> so in some ways, it's almost too easy now. I think you could take things for granted. Right. It's like, oh, Jackie Wilson, yeah, he's pretty cool. But it's like, if you had to wait a month and a half to get the record and then get it and be like, oh my God, you know, it's like yeah. this kind of magical thing, I guess. Yeah, it seems like with the internet, everybody thinks they know everything. When in reality, <laughs> what the, what they real what the reality is is they really what they know is how to get the information, which yeah. is not necessarily the same thing. Like knowing knowing things and knowing where to find the things. I mean, that's been the new skill now is like knowing where to find it, and it's because everybody has it at all times in our pockets, twenty four seven. It's kind of exhausting, actually, yeah. when I think about it. I mean, I love it. I think. The internet is both the best and the worst thing that ever happened to humanity. Right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, your teaching, like how you've gotten into the working with the Old Town School of Folk Music um, in Chicago, which is a legendary institution. But first, before we do, play another song, and we'll come back. We'll talk a little about your song, about your writing and your teaching through that school. Mm. So, what's the next song going to be, Steve? Oh, actually, it's a it's kind of a a good segue, I guess. The um the next song is a song called Confusion, which is from the new record. It's going to be on the Funeral Bonsai record. And um, okay. it's basically an old soul song. So, I, you know, it's like kind of like trying to find that kind of Stax record uh-huh. sound. So that's it. It's called Confusion. All right. Steve Dawson with another song here on Independence Day. Doesn't matter if I fill my head with whiskey. It doesn't matter if I stay in bed all day. In my heart, there is a shadow. I sent out a flare and a 
curse the crumbling earth into a darkening mind, to a hole in the sea, to the trouble wrapping around me, confusion. Don't break my heart, confusion. I've been hovering above the wayside I've been cruel to the one who loves me There are still more questions than answers I'm calling, calling for mercy Confusion don't break my heart mm -hmm. maybe, maybe I don't want to know I don't want to know I, I don't want to know Steve Dawson, one of the front persons from the band Dolly Varden, a Chicago-based band. I highly suggest you check them out at dollyvarden.com. Also, you can check out Steve's music at stevedawsonmusic.com. He's got a brand new project called Funeral Bonsai Wedding. And are you promoting this just through your website? Is this kind of a thing that bears your moniker, or will it have its own branding? Well, it's, it is a band name, so and the record will just be called Funeral Bonsai Wedding. So I... I have registered the domain. <laughs> I just okay. have to, yeah, I haven't put anything up there yet. Um, so at the moment, it's just through my website. But I, you know, yeah. I'll, I'll do something with it. We live there, in a place now where I think like bands. It's almost like you have to pick your band name based on whether or not the URL is available. <laughs> I know that's kind of true. And things have changed even in terms of that, man. I remember having to go to the Chicago library to use the internet to look up and see if the, we were, you know, we had like a list of band names we'd come up with sitting around at the Hopley for oh, night. Wow. And we, like I didn't have the internet anywhere, so I had to go down to the, the library and like yeah. look them up. Things have changed, man. Um, but you are, aside from being an accomplished singer-songwriter, uh, musician, uh, father, uh, Chicago institution, of course. You are a teacher. You teach both guitar lessons, if I'm understanding this correctly, you teach guitar lessons as well as songwriting at the Old Town School of Folk Music in Chicago. And the first question I have for you in terms of that is every teacher um, has a different way of going about this, but what do you learn from your students in terms of doing this? It seems like, because you know, you're teaching them, but the teachers also learn from the students. What do you learn from them? Yeah. Yeah, it's completely opened my mind and changed the way I look at everything in a way. Um, it's great. Um, specifically in the songwriting classes, it's made me realize that the sort of like desire and and inspiration to write songs is something that is much more sort of like much more common in just everybody. 
And I, and I kind of think that everybody has the ability to do it in a way, if they have the desire to do it. And, I, and it, prior to teaching, and I think this is the, the sort of more prevailing attitude, you think that songwriting is this rarefied skill that only certain sort of famous people are able to do or should do. And as a result of the classes, it's made me realize that it, it, it sh- it's something that everybody should try. And, and yeah. um, the, the, level, the quality level of the songs is astounding. And, and that, I think, changed my view more than anything else. Because I would tell people, oh, yeah, I teach songwriting. And they go like, oh, my God, how can you stand it? But yeah. honest, honestly, it's phenomenal. I mean, I think people think it's going to be like... Um, the woman on Friends singing about her cat or something like that. It's like right. oh, a bunch of people like singing this horrible, you know, but it, it so rarely is that. And so often is something where, you know, someone will finish the song and everyone in the class is almost speechless where they're just like, wow, that was, that was really amazing. You know, it's like this, this, yeah. Anyway, so I have gone from that attitude of like, it's this, you know, songwriting is this super specialized thing that only certain people are able to do to some, to thinking it's this beautiful way of expressing yourself that, that everyone should try. And, um, yeah, I think, I think that's changed the way I look at myself even. Uh And then I, you know, I, I just, I, I see the way that people express themselves and, and it opens my eyes to eyes and ears to trying that too. Not that I'm ripping off my students, but but definitely sort of like, oh, wow, I never even thought of that angle, you know, of, yeah. of approaching, approaching a situation or a, a chord progression or anything like that. So, you know, what, what is the age group of your students? Uh, is it pretty much across the board? Or, I mean, because so many, you know, like young, hungry songwriters in their early 20s out there trying to take over the world. Um, are, you, are you finding people like work-a-day folks coming back and who always wanted to write songs? I mean, is it all over the place? Or yeah, what's the age I think the general age is a little bit older. <clears throat> I occasionally get, like, college-age um, people that are, you know, starting bands and wanting to write material for their bands. Um, but mostly it's people who have settled down a little bit. Maybe they're in their 30s, into their 40s, and realize kind of something's missing in their life. Like, people who maybe... Right maybe played an instrument in high school or played guitar in college and um, they stopped and now they kind of realize, you know what, I really want to get back into that. It's a certain amount of like human maturation that has to deal with this too because it seems like when you're, you know, young people, it it sounds like a cliche, but, you know, there's that thing that they think they know everything about what they're trying to do. And then when they get a little bit older, that's when their kind of head removes, you know, removes itself from their rear end and they go, oh, wow, I don't know anything. Like the more you learn, the more you learn that you don't know. And that's when you go back and like you really learn the things that you want to do in your life, it seems like to me. Right. Yeah. At at, at 25, I wouldn't have had the patience to sit in a room and, you know, I mean, mean, if I was going to take a class, I wouldn't have had the patience to take a songwriting class. I would have been like, what do you know? You know, you don't know anything, old man, (laughs) kind of thing. Um, Yeah. But now I think it'd be great. I'd love to do it. Yeah. And then how about the actual, I mean, so how many kids, I say kids, how many people are in your classes, like your songwriting classes at any given time? They're usually between like eight to 12 people. 
If they okay. get if they get any bigger than that, it gets unwieldy because I I do I give weekly writing assignments and then um, people come back and play them the next week. So uh, any more people than that, we, it would it would go on for too long. Give me an example of like a typical assignment. Like if you say, okay, uh, class, you know, you've got a week to write a song about jelly beans or, <laughs> you know, what have you. Like what, what, how do you figure that out? How do you specify? Um, the first one I usually give in songwriting class, in songwriting one class, is I tell people to go home and pull up a bunch of old photographs, photographs from growing up. Maybe a photograph of the house they grew up in or their grandmother's house. Or, you know, the car they used to, if they can find a picture of the, the car they, they used to go on family trips with. And, and when they find one that gives them that certain sort of emotional something, you know, either like a uh. joyous moment or a sad moment or any sort of anything, a pang of some, some emotion that, say, you know, keep that one sitting out and get the instrument out and just start singing things. So that's that's the first one. Okay, and then is like the is the final like now you have a song or well it's you know, like complete a song the, or complete a record or how do you how do you, I, how do you I, like I it's not really for grades though right? Uh, oh well, there's no grades at the old town school, so yeah, okay, everybody gets an A. But it's like I think everybody the key, wins. The key is you've got to find a way in. You've got to find some way to get started, and I think once you get started on a song. The song, in a way, kind of dictates where it's going to go, and you also you have some kind of um, agency in in negotiating where it's going to go. But you have to start somewhere. So I think most of the assignments are aimed at getting people started on something, kind of limiting your options so yeah. that you you can start somewhere. So now you said like songwriting one, like how many levels are there? I mean, does it go all the way up well, to like Beatles yeah. level? <laughs> No, there's just there's what they call songwriting fundamentals, which is songwriting one, and then there's continuing songwriting, which is okay. people take that class over and over if they want to keep generating okay. material. So there's really just two. Yeah, so it's like a workshop essentially. Yes, yes, yeah. Because I mean, you know, in my the humorous part of me is like looking at it, going like these advanced level, like okay, if you're like at four hundred level classes, like okay, now you have to go write your Sergeant Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> You've got three months. Here's a Neumann. Go do it. <laughs> Here's a pen and paper, and a, a yeah. guy's gonna say micro cassette recorder. God, right. that's what I used to start off right. writing. Right, epic masterpiece. Yeah, no, I don't think so. How has technology changed? Well, has technology changed the way that you write music? No, I do it exactly the same way. Exactly the note, same. I have a notebook and a guitar, and I guess the only thing is, I guess since I'm older, I'm not as able. I'm not. I don't seem to be as able to remember little snippets of melody like I used to. So I will record okay. those on my memo, on the phone. I'll just, on the memo recorder, I'll, I'll record little melodies or chord progressions, you know, so that I can remember them. I didn't used to have yeah. to do that. But. Yeah, I guess my big, uh, big advancement was going from a micro cassette recorder, which is those little cassettes that your answering machine used to use, mm -hmm. uh, you know, bouncing up to uh, just, you know, the voice recorder on my iPhone. You know, so it's right. in my pocket at all times. And I found myself, you know, for me, it's, I, I'm very easily distracted as a writer. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get into something and like, I feel like that, that initial kernel, that initial seed of an idea is, is where like the best stuff lies. It's because if I, I always try to wow. record it right away, yeah, whatever absolutely. it is, 
just that first inspiration because when I start screwing around with it, it kind of loses its sheen a little bit. Yep. Um, but it is nice to have those in your pocket, man. It, you can, yeah. and that's the other function is there's so much input in our society. Like everywhere you go, like at the gas station, gassing up your car, there's little TVs now. Like it's yeah, hard to that. turn off, hard to turn off the noise um, from from our society. There's you know, the internet being in our pocket. You know, there's every distraction is available at all times now. Uh, is yeah, this I, focus I, an issue for you too? Oh yeah, I hate it. I hate that. I mean, even yeah, I don't know how people do things at Starbucks because there's music playing. If there's music playing, yeah. I can't concentrate. I, I um, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't have an answer for that. Yeah. I do tell people in songwriting in the fundamentals class that while they're writing, they have to turn the internet off and they have to turn their phone yeah. off. And and a lot of people bristle at that. But it's like if you yeah, you know, if you suddenly check a text message while you're writing a song, you're, you're done. You're done writing. You know, yeah, you've interrupted like, the flow. Yeah. So you've yeah, I've definitely it. found if I'm, if I'm in a writing mode, I found there's one simple trick. I mean, aside from just turning off the internet, because I'm a lover of music, I love to listen to music. I listen to it all the time. You know, back before everything was in my pocket, I had a radio in every room of my house, you yeah. know, some kind of player. And I've learned that the biggest thing for me is turning off that input because my body will physically buck that. Yeah. Because it's like, I'll, I'll, be, I'll turn it off. And after a few minutes, I'm like, oh, I, I want to listen to the new Iron and Wine record. Yeah. I want to, <laughs> you know, God, I've never wanted to hear Back in Black so bad in my entire life. And, but if I, if I can get past it, it's like, it's like a drug addiction thing. Like if I can get past the shakes and the shivers and the sweating <laughs> of not listening to music and reverse that flow, yeah. my brain is so musically tuned that stuff will just start pouring out. Because it, it's it, yeah. it's filling a void of music that I would normally get as an input, and that's a big deal for me. It's cool. a it's a visceral thing almost. It's a visceral yeah. thing. Yeah, uh, we've got about enough time for one more song here. What are we going to get in before we run out of time? Um, there's a song that I wrote uh, almost probably 15 years ago now that was on a Dolly Varden record called "The Dumbest Magnets" that Diane sings, but that I wrote. It's a song called "The Thing You Love Is Killing You." And it's, I don't know, if Dolly Varden had a greatest hit, it would probably be this one. And it's been covered a few times, and um, my friend Robbie Folks sings this occasionally. And, I don't know, people like it, so I thought I'd do that one. It's Steve Dawson, One More Time on Independence Day. I see your face All is not well You try to hide it away But it's easy to tell You stick to your guns Even though you know 
what's true The thing you love Is killing you When you were a kid Inspiration called Slowly you narrowed it down To a desk and a wall You pour out your soul To a world Whose indifference is spelled out for you The thing you love Is killing you The thing you love It won't let you sleep Your house out of order Resistance weak And what could you offer With such desperate eyes You tried to recover A year at a time but When it's all over What conclusion do you come to? The thing you love Is killing you Dawson, exemplary singer, songwriter, frontman, or one of the front persons from the band Dolly Varden. Love that band. You should check them out at dollyvarden.com. Also, Steve Dawson at stevedawsonmusic.com. That is a great song, man. It's a really, oh, really, really great song, and I, I can see why it has the legs that it does. So you've got this show coming up at the Jay Pritzker Pavilion in Grant Park in Chicago. People can pick up tickets for that. You're playing with Robbie Folks, who we mentioned right before we play that song. That is Monday, June 2nd at 6.30 p.m., and hopefully the weather will cooperate. Operate. So. Uh, spring can be beautiful in Chicago, but can also be very, very difficult. Uh, you've got some other upcoming shows looking here. You've got Uncommon Ground, June 15th, which happens to be my birthday. Oh. Uh, and then birthday. August the 10th at Simon's. That's the place. That's going to be a bonsai wedding show, right? That's right. Bonsai wedding. 
All right. So what's coming up next? You said you're working on a, a new record. and then Yeah, the you know, new what's, record. What's on the, um, what's on the horizon for you? The actual Funeral Bonsai Wedding album is going to come out uh, in September. And um, like mid-September, I think the 15th is the date. I, I'm not certain of that. Um, and so that'll that'll happen. And uh, and then in the next, then that'll probably fill out the rest of the year, like just uh-huh. promoting that and um, hopefully playing some, some more shows. And then in the new year, I'll keep, you know, keep working that. But also we're going to start working on the Dolly Varden 20th anniversary stuff. And we're oh, going to nice. we'll have a big show at the Old Town School of Folk Music, actually, in probably May of 2015 for um, for that, for the Dolly Varden 20th and, anniversary. In that beautiful room, is it is it United yeah. who sponsored that? That's such a beautiful room. I think I've only ever seen a show there once because my memory of Old Town School of, School of Folk Music doesn't even include the whole location up on Lincoln. Okay. When I was there, it was right. all down on Armitage. That's a beautiful, beautiful room. I think I saw Tony Rice play there. Yeah, no, it's phenomenal. Player. It's a it's a great, great place both to to see a show and to play a show. It's phenomenal. Yeah, beautiful room. And also, I mean, now after the twentieth anniversary, you know, stuff is all said and done. Do you think there's another Dolly Varden record in the cards out there somewhere? Yeah, probably, probably. Yeah. You know, the world's a better place when you guys are making music, man, so keep it up. If anybody gets a chance to see Dolly Varden, I highly suggest they do so, man. So so congratulations, Steve, on uh, on the new project, on, uh, you know, the new record you're working on, on the 20th anniversary coming up for Dolly Varden. Uh, Get out and see this guy. He's really, really good. Thanks. So thank you to Steve Dawson, also to the Independence Day staff, Valentina Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The amazing Tony Tonloke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. For Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. Please be good to one another.